Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au all your fuel at the racetrack. This is the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast and your hosts, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, race fans alike, to the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast. You might notice slight difference at the very top end of our podcast if you've joined us for one of the 30 or the 29 others as this is episode 30 along the way we uh we thank napa for all of their support over the first 29 and launch a whole new podcast name the race fuels grassroots racing podcast and we thank uh, all the team at race fuels www.racefuels.com.au at your local racetrack or down at one of their depots, particularly their head office in Dandenong in Melbourne. A big g'day to all the team down at Racefields. I would like to introduce my uh, co-host, who's been a very, very loyal uh, contender over the first 29 episodes. My search does continue for someone that can match up to the level of his wit and his intelligence and exceptional industry knowledge. But Gary O'Brien still keeps turning up uh, every time we hit record on the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast. Gaz, welcome. We have got a ripping show today. We have, certainly. Uh, I'm a bit like an itch you just can't get rid of. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, our guest tonight, um, TC's done some stuff over the years. Um, He's had six Bathurst 1000 starts. He's had one top 10 finish. He's been a leading privateer on one occasion as well. He's had five Bathurst 12-hour starts. He's had one 24-hour start. He's done numerous overseas 24-hour events, including two at the famous Spa Frankenchamps circuit where the Formula Ones will be racing this weekend. Dubai, 24 hours. Uh, Sepang, 12 hours. You name it, with some good outright podium positions. Well, not podium, but on the outright in the outright uh, circumstances, certainly got some one, two, threes, um, and others that are in the top 10. And we're talking big fields here as some of these events. So let's uh, not waste any further time and let's have a chat to Mel Rose. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate being on the Grassroots um, yeah, podcast. Fantastic. Awesome to have you on, Mel. Um, we, we're very lucky that we're able to visit, discuss, explore the careers of many um, people in Australian motorsport. Well, we've done it 30 times. You're our uh, you're our 30th time, and I'm not sure whether we're any better at it or even maybe probably <laughs> even worse at it between Gary and I, and uh, um, we certainly enjoy doing it. In fact, I've already enjoyed the chat that we had before we hit record. We had to all get, get, get our breath before uh, starting off. I always start things off, Mel, with the first question is, what was it? Where was it? When was it? You know, on racetrack, rally stage, speedway, whatever it was, what's your first memory that grabbed you in motorsport and went wow i've got to make this you know an integral part of my life oh, i can remember it clearly it was 1977 bathurst moffat and bond coming across the line i, I wagged school like my brother and i went up in his little pink tarana and, and we actually um 
snuck in and and um yeah, I remember that's clearly just going to Bathurst. Because I, I we joined my brother and I joined the ARDC at I was 15. My my brother was 16. So um we were club members, so we got free entry, you know. Even though like, even at that age, you know, we were we might have been kids, but you know, he had he had his P plate, I didn't, but I still drove. You know, <laughs> did we all? <laughs> where we could get away with it? Yeah. Where, were you, where were you coming from, Mel? Where to, to head to? Well, I lived in the western suburbs of Sydney. I lived in a place called Rydalmere, which is at the other side of uh, Parramatta. And um, you know, and my brother and I, we went to the uh, all boys high school. The only thing we were good at, I I was good at motor mechanics, and I was good at um, woodwork and cabinet making. The rest of the, the rest of the subject, I failed dismally, and. Um, and I used to bring my brother's Tirana to, to school and do the service work and tuning during school school hours to get away with it. It's great. So, just according to my research, it wasn't too long after that where you you you, you snuck out of school and you went off to Mount Panorama to watch Bathurst that you started to, I guess, put put the ed- formal education side of things behind and yeah. start off on the on the on the education in the school of hard knocks i guess it must well, have been a bit and and headed off into motorsport well, well, well 1978 that's the year i left school and um i started a job straight away um i didn't go to i didn't go to what do you call it fifth or sixth or whatever they call that 11 or 12 now i think it is you, le- um, you just, left at the leaving certificate rather than the high school certificate that's right i just i just left yeah, yeah i just left in, in year 10 and and um and went straight to work and I got a job as a car breeder specialist. So I started tuning cars from a very young age, even before I had my driver's license. And then um, it all just went on from there because once we joined the car club, we were able to go and do, you know, the lap dashes and super sprints. And we, we were officials. We were flaggies. We were doing timing. It was great. We, we had a great time when we were kids. I, I was picked through for Terry Finnegan. I, was, I remember all the – I got photographs of all the, um, the old touring cars of the past and, you know, I – yeah. Just got so, so when did you decide that you wanted to do more than just be a mechanic and actually start doing some stuff on the track? Like, where was the first car to come from? How did okay. you sort of get to a point where you started racing? Well, I, I bought a two hundred dollar LJ XU1 Tirana. <laughs> You've worth a fortune now. <laughs> so imagine, imagine what it would have been like. It was yeah, the, the interior was stuffed and and just it was just a, it was and I remember it wasn't even a high performance one. It was one. It was they had, I think they had a couple of models actually ones. The LJ was the better one. The LC was the earlier one, but only had twin cards. Where the LJ had triple cards on. But but all I did was just put it in the workshop. My boss Jeff Brown, the Browns carburetors, let me use his workshop, and it all started from there. And it went from a steel body. And then by the time I'd finished with it, it was all fiberglass, front, rear, everything. There was no weight in it. We'd cut everything off it. It had the, it had the top six-cylinder range. I actually started with a, a Speedway fuel injection engine I bought off a Speedway guy, which was absolute crap for road because you've got to idle in the pits. Wouldn't idle. And so I had to end up building a whole carburetor, you know, being a carving specialist, get the old triple webbers happening, you know, and um, maybe when... And the good part about it is, I mean, it's a story I've, I've told to some people. I actually f- literally forgot about it. I got hit by a car when I was when I was 15 years old. Got, as a paper boy, I was running across the road after the bus to go and get the best paper barrow, and got buried by a car in the in the side of my leg. And um, me not knowing that if you get run over as a pedestrian, the car is always at fault. And I, I here I am thinking. Years later, I get this letter, and and it's from the GIO or someone running insurance company saying, 
uh, Mr. Rose, you got run over, blah, blah, blah. You know, you were willing to accept this amount of money. I went, I'm going to go, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and, um, of course, I wasn't going to, um, you know, knock, knock, knock it back. back. And so I, I, that, that, that money then bought a Detroit locker, for those that know what a Detroit locker is from a race car, for those in your diff. It got me brand-new Dunlop slicks. It got me a... a, a, a Oh, car, I bought Keith Prop, the late Keith Prop. I bought his VBSLE Commodore for my tow car, even though I had my own shitty trailer. But but that money literally helped me go from being an average Tirana to being one of the fastest Tiranas around Amaru Park. And I think to this day, and I could be wrong, I know there was, there was some really good guys before me, but 54.4 seconds, I remember it distinctly how fast we go around Amaru Park in a six-cylinder four-speed Tirana. No, I'm great. My earliest memory of that car and you was a, a six-hour relay at Amaru. Yep. Um, I think your brother was in that race, yeah, or he was in the same it. team. He had his six, own six car. cars with six Taranas. Yep, that's right. Yep, yep. Which you won? Yeah, oh, yeah. We we won nearly all of them, all the six. with Oran Park, Amaru Park. We did. And those, after. of course, in those days they were a race. They weren't a regularity. So no, it's full on. So yeah. if you had a a fault somewhere around the track and you had to pull up, you just had to get the Velcro to the nearest flag point. And then run back to the pits. And that sash had to be attached to the next car before it could leave the pits. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but then they changed that rule to say that you only had to take it to the nearest flag point. But in okay. fact, when you were racing in those relays, it was back to the pits. So yeah. <laughs> depending where it happened, it might have had a fair run ahead of you. Yeah. Well, it, it, I, I, I had the actually one, um, the large fuel. So you remember the... Genu I got a genuine XU1 fuel tank. And if you remember rightly, the half the tank is inside the boot and the rest of the half mm. is under the car. So you can't see how big it is from the outside, but it certainly was a huge tank. Yeah, what was called a drop tank, I think, in those days. Wasn't yeah, it? Well, yeah. My, my, my Harry, Harry Firth does a lot of tricky things to make those cars comply. <laughs> you know, I think he dropped a few things, few things into them, guys. My research, Mel, certainly has only been able to drag up till 1986, uh, sorry, 1984 with the Tirana in sports yep. stands with, with great success as you've just outlined. Then a, a VK Commodore Group ASS and the Australian Endurance Championship and AMSCAR yep. series, yep. which, I mean, the AMSCAR series was, was I don't think has ever been replaced by anything no. because it was such a strong televised series in New South Wales yep. that everyone around the country tuned into. Yeah. Well, just, just to... Um... How that how that led into it, after I was pretty successful in the sports at end days, I do you'd say, they brought along this one make series called the Goodyear Laser Series in 1985. And all of us that wanted to go somewhere, all had to go and have a light. So I went and bought a brand new KB Ford laser twin carb from a Ford dealer down at Camden and put a roll cage in it, did all the things because it was a control category. You had to buy their wheels, the ROH wheels, you had to you know, everything had to be a controlled package so that no one was cheating. And um, and that's and if I remember rightly, we had the great um, Mark Scaife and Peter Dane and, and Stevie Williams and, you know, and all of, all of, you know, even David Brabham, if you remember rightly. Mm. And, you know, I managed to write my one off in about, I think, I only lasted <laughs> four rounds and I, I got tipped up. I mean, Scaife came together in Dunlop Loop and Emory Park and totally screwed that car. And I remember I was upside down. I've never been upside down on a racetrack, but... The hatchback of the of the of the laser Ford laser. I'm hanging upside down, watching all these cars go past me, 
Can you imagine if one of them had actually gone into the roof? <laughs> like, like my right. head was like a foot from the back window. Now we've had Peter Dane on the um, on the podcast, and he yeah. actually pretty much remembers the series exactly as you do. That's yeah, yeah. pretty much it. I he was had, fine, mate. He had a I, ball with yeah. But I don't think he put his car on its roof. Though, not on the he? roof. No. <laughs> no. But there was heaps of damage. You know, like, I've only yeah. just started. To, seriously, so, there's a lot of guys keep um, putting uh, YouTube clips of a lot of these events up now. I, I've seen some races now. That I even forgot that I was in. You know, and and if you and if you look at the sports events, eighty four, you go to the Amaru Park in eighty four sports events. Mark Scaife was on the back of the grid in a red Tirana, and I'm right up in, in the top ten because my thing was super quick, you know. And um, and then I say we all went, went to this good year laser series, and what and what happened? I was actually good friends with a lady called Gay. Um, her original name was Gay um, Woodford. She was uh, Ivan Stibbard's personal secretary. And Gay ended up um, marrying Mike Bergman. And Mike and was doing Group A and Group C and whatever. And he remember, if you remember, he had the Camaros and he had. And so it, by the end of 85, Mike came up to me at Amaru Park and said, well, listen, get out of that silly one-mate series. How about we'll go and do the endurance series and we'll do Amaru uh, 300, the Sandown 500 and the Bathurst 1000 in one year. And can you imagine what I was like? I was only three years into my motorsport career at this stage, and I had Mike Bergman come up and suggest that. I mean, and I even went and got my truck license because I thought we thought we were going on to bigger and better things in the following year. But unfortunately, Mike got killed at the the Bathurst round, as we all know. And the man, a five-speed get track with a you know V8 engine, man, I had no way. I got out of a six-cylinder Tirana that I built myself, and then it were, it were Bob Stevens prepared. You know, Group A, VK, with all the bells and whistles. Well, when I say bells and whistles, I had no bloody era. They had no, nothing but, you know. It was a fairly good car for the first year of Group A, though, wasn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, Mike, Mike didn't, Mike didn't, um, what, what do you say, didn't spare an expense. Bob Stevens was was the, the preparer, the test driver. He made it all happen. Um, you know, even remember rightly, he, Mike helped Tony Longhurst on his foot up. By, by starting, remember the dream. The, what put him, the, put him in the Camaro. That's right. The, yeah. What they call the dream, dream world, the dream world Camaro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here, yeah, I, I honestly thought, you know, my stars were all starting to line up. Like, you know, I saw Mark Scaife and Glenn Seaton in that period. You know, start, go through their, you know, lower level categories and whatever, and and then suddenly, bang, they're um, they're in the factory teams. You know, and you're, here I am. <laughs> I go to Bathurst and my, my co, co, uh, the, the co-driver slash owner dies. I'm thinking, holy mm. shit. Yeah. It's oh, interesting. My, my first great memory of you is um, you coming down from New South Wales to race in 1988 with an Oz car at the Thunderdome. Yep. yep. The The Thunderdome was an, an absolute sensation. And and I think I think it still is a sensation. It's yep. just sad that it's, it, it is in the disrepair that it is. But um what was it that a guy from New South Wales who had been to Victoria to run in the Sandown 500 with Mike that went, let's take the carburetor service business and go racing in essentially in Victoria full time? Yeah, well, what, how that how that all come about, if you remember 1987, the year after Mike was killed, I had no choice but to go and borrow another 15, 20 grand. And I bought a secondhand um, ex-police pack Group E Commodore off, off Greg East, another competitor in the day. And I ran that, there was a, uh, at Oran Park Raceway, they put in a series called Commodore Classic, 
which then means you could run the car Group E, Commodore Classic, and there was a series called a park called the called a park Super Series, and and I competed in all three of them, all three of those series in, in 1987. So I did I did the laps around the Thunderdome in the Calder Park Super Series in this V8 VK four speed manual X police pack, and I put on the front row of the grid next to the great Kevin Bartlett in the Mitsubishi Starion. So here I am, you know, <laughs> again, my, this is my fourth year in motorsport. I'm going around the Thunderdome, so that was a main track and the Thunderdome. So they went in through the, the wall and the back straight and then came back in again. So how the Oscar thing came about, after I did all this racing in, in 1987, in, as I say, in the Commodore Classic, remember, Commodore Classic, we raced against the, the great Pete Gagan, Johnny Goss. Remember they put celebrity drivers in the in the cars and we and we went to... We went to there were, uh, there were some pretty good drivers in there. Luffy was in there. Oh, Gib- Gibbsy, Mark Gibbs, yeah. Barry Jones. Ken, Ken Davison, who was running Both in Group A at the time. Yeah. The Yuldans, the they Yuldans. were there. Yeah, that was the cars basically were Group A production cars, but they were allowed to run a little rear lid spoiler and yeah. they had the CSA wheels and, uh, That's right. yep. and a and a Yakama tyre package. That's right, exactly. So yeah. so so getting back to how the Oscar thing came about, to answer your question, um, at the end of that, the or towards the end of 87, I got a phone call from a bloke called Bill Jane. Now, that's Bob's brother, you know, the great Bob Jane. I got it. So Bill's his brother. Bill is Kim Jane's father. And what, what Bill said to me was, he said, I'm going to support, I'm going to support three New South Wales guys to come and help bolster our, our series we want to start. We want to start this thing called Oscar. And I thought, okay. Well, so they're, they're, obviously the rules meant you had to have you know, proper aluminium speedway seats and you had to have floating rear ends. So, the, so the, you know, you had to get rid of the normal axles and had to have really strong hubs. And then you had to have camber on one side, negative camber on one side and positive camber on the other side. And, and you had to have these um, Oscar wheels and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so Bill's turned around and said to me, well, I'm going to support Greg East, yourself and Tony Cabbage. And I'm going to give you the bits to make your cars in Oscars. And said, "How's that?" And then, so my car, the first event had on the bonnet had Governor Philip Wines, which is Bill's one of Bill's businesses. And um, but he allowed me to run the. If you look at the history, I actually ran that car straight from a production car, so it still had the aluminium aluminium roll cage, and the doors still open up. So my first round <laughs> in 1988, I could step out of the car at the Thunderdome. In an Oscar race, they're, and they have the Americans. The Americans walked up to my go in their American accent. Oh my God! It's an aluminum roll cage. You're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know? They didn't like the aluminum, did they? They, they? they could. They could not believe the doors opened. I said, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I was in a hurry. I had to get this thing finished. I could only bolt in the bits that that, that were supplied to me." Give, give it but 50 bucks to the VK yeah. Commodore and you, the doors won't open around the Thunderdome. <laughs> they would have been uh, <laughs> well and truly shut. Oh, uh, you, you could just imagine if I had a prank, it would have been, oh, no, I know, I tell you. Well, <laughs> talking about a controversy, yeah. Um, tell us, about, just, tell uh, us I, about heading out on the Thunderdome. Look, you, you, you went off in 1988, you've got the door, yeah, you got the Commodore with the doors that open. The likes yeah. of Terry Wyhoon, same sort of thing. Terry wobbled yeah. down pit lane in his pink VK, and then yeah. you head off into the Thunderdome. It was it was a massive. Well, massive we're, we're remembering, remember this, guys. The first ever race, first ever race was won by a female, Terry Sawyer. 
Greg, mm. yeah. That's right. And yeah. and Terry, well, and and Greg East put it on pole. So Greg was first pole sitter. I think I was about fourth or fifth. And and anyway, cut a long story short, I'd never raced speedway and I didn't know the rules of speedway. I didn't know that in a NASCAR race that a white flag means it's the last lap and get ready for the checker. And here I am. No, this is no bullshit. I've come in the pits <laughs> on the white flag lap and I didn't have any radios. I didn't have any. And my pit crew, they were just as dumb as I was. I didn't have a clue what was on. And 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 I, and I remember actually the late Ted Robinson was there helping me because Ted had come down from Ballarat. And Ted waved me, go, go back out. And I'm going, what, what, what? And anyway, I, you know, I realised later I've gone from potentially could have been, and if you have a look at the replay, I was kind of in the lead coming into those last couple laps. <laughs> so you're thereabouts. And, and, there, and there's Ted working on a Holden and the Holden driver brings it into pit lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? Actually, actually, I have photographs of that first ever event and half of my pit crew with Ken Douglas's and Kent Yulden's crew from in the front when they got to the production car. Area. So this is 88. So they were helping me because they were friends with Ken Douglas and 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 Ted Robinson. So I had all their boys helping me because I, I was from Sydney, so I didn't have any crew. They you just, uh, obviously uh, went down the track of most race car drivers is in that you didn't read the sub regs. <laughs> what read the rules still, still haven't <laughs> anyway, but 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 I, I did i did get them at my round three i ended up winning round three so I, I did pretty good out of that series by two years two years of running and i won 40 grand prize money so that paid off all my debts it was great have you have you have you have you received the prize money absolutely no i spent yeah. well and every time i won prize money my fame would ring and they'd always go hey mel remember what i lent you <laughs> so it went from a lean to a you're you only. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, I was going to say uh, with that uh, episodes of running down at the, the Thunderdome that you probably reacquainted, maybe that's not the right word, but Bob Jane was uh, did something back when, when Mike Bergman was killed that he took you all aside at Bathurst that year. Remember you telling me about that? I'm took you aside and um, looked after you guys after... We heard that uh, Mike had passed away. Yeah, well, that was pretty sad because that year, when um, when the accident happened on lap five, they they couldn't confirm his death during the race because if they did, the race would have to stop. Mm. That was would have been part of the you know the police situation. Um, you know, it's, it, so I think we we're all told after the race had finished, but I think we already knew from the beginning it was pretty bad. You don't need a, a bridge at two hundred and seventy something kilometers per hour and survive. Yeah, but he, but he, uh, Bob didn't Bob take you aside and look after you for the rest of the day anyway? I look, it was to tell you the truth, it was so long ago, and I was that committed. I'd actually personally towed three caravans from my I rented from a caravan hire place in Wentworthville, and behind my valiant VJ Regal automatic V8, towed three caravans. So, all I was worried about is the people that were crewing, I had to get these three caravans home. Mm. So, over the next Couple of days, I was backwards and forwards from Bathurst, dropping these caravans off, and yeah. So you've just, anyway, had, so, you've just so, had Gary go weak at the knees, just telling us about that valiant. <laughs> He's just, I, he just about dribbled in, into a mess then. Uh, a VGV8 that'll have gas was, on his knees. VJ valiant V8, and I could do burnouts with the trailer on with the <laughs> race car, and it was that much talk about it. Unreal. I've <laughs> still got my my uh, CL. So <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> um, now we we've moved from. Uh, Thunderdome or 
oval track racing into production cars from there. Yeah, we went back to bit, production cars. Yep. Yeah. And that was well, that was mainly because in 1990, um, the rules were starting to change with, with Oscar. There's a couple of brothers in this race that were winning all the time. And the rules got to the stage where I couldn't afford to have a Harrop front brakes and aluminium radiators and oil coolers. And and, and, and we started an Oscar, which is basically a production car from the Commodore series or Commodore Classic. And all we did was bolt on, on wheels and a, and, a, and a disc thing, whatever, and put a racing seat in it. So, but then suddenly they want to become racing cars. I'm thinking, why the hell do we need to go? This is two years later. We started to go to very expensive race cars and um and i just went whoa 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 i'm not that i know i don't agree with that and um and i was part of the what they call a technical committee i used to drive down personally to my own car and once a month i'd sit in a meeting in the bob james bloody um boardroom and we have a technical meeting and unfortunately um i always got voted out when it came to you know the moving on to the next you know technical space stage so i i got out and went back to production cars and, then and did those brothers did those brothers have um, a, a supercar team in their own name these days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not go too Understood. far. Understood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just, Understood. I just thought if I drop prop the brothers, in, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so the the move into production cars and and it, we Gary and I actually talked about this a couple of episodes ago, um, where we were talking about unfortunately the passing of of Kent Yulden and. Yep. We sort of talked about that from 1990 through to 93 with the the six-cylinder rules with, with Commodores yep. and Falcons and all those sort of things were some real heady days for production cars fun. in Australia. Oh, that was one of the most serious categories of racing I've ever been involved in. I mean, when you look at the names back then, Peter Fitzgerald, Kent Yeldon, you know, uh, Ken Douglas, there was, and then you got Zerafoss, there was a three-car Goodyear team, Zerafoss Hill and... Um, Fitzy, um, you know, it was take no prisoners. It was kill yeah. or be killed. It was Terry, you know. Terry, uh, sorry, Tony Scott with yep. uh, George Shepard looking yep. after him, and he yep. was fun to deal with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but anyway, and then a guy called Paul Flotman comes along. He's got a, a an EA Falcon, a black EA Falcon, which wasn't going that good, and 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 basically, I jumped in it. Went from being an average production car to suddenly. I won the first three rounds, you know, and, and they've gone, well, well. And I thought, how am I going to afford to, to go on to the next level here? Because, you know, the part of the deal was Paul said I could use a car, but I had to pay the bill, you know. Mm -hmm. So Carburetor Service Company, which is the business, obviously I was in Carby, so Carby Services kicked in some cash and I, I, look, I had to get MLB to sponsorships. And you just, in, the, in that day, you had to really have some really good friends and people that would support you and, you know, they call it partners now. I, they, they, all of my sponsors were just mates. We were just good friends and, you know, and uh, and always have a beer at the end of a race meeting. Remember the good old Oran Park Days production cars? Yeah. How, late, how late were we in the pits, guys? <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't leave. But we, we kind of, um, what's the word for it? Dry it up a bit before we could actually leave. <laughs> <laughs> the, day, the good old days, they call them. <laughs> Barbecue and a beer or yes. three. Yes, that that era spanned the EA and EB um, Falcons, and you like 91, 1990, 91, You were in the ninety two in the EA, and then you moved on to the EB, and then the end of the ninety three year, you won the series. Yeah, well, in nineteen ninety two, the EBSS Ford 
wasn't available. It wasn't. It was only in production. So I only got it towards the end of the year, end of '92. And although I almost the first year '91, I was actually leading the point score until the final round, and I got punted at Oran Park, and it dropped me back to third. So Kent Yeldon won, and I was third in '92. I, I tried really hard, but I only got only got only got, I got second or third or in the championship. And then '93 come along. That's when, remember when Mike Raymond started the Ford and Holden V8 touring cars and suddenly production cars were were not looked at. So half the competitors decided, oh, bugger that, we'll go, we'll go off and find another category to run in. And, and that only left me with guys like Perry Bosenjack and and, and um, Kevin Burton went and bought Ken Douglas's felt Ford. And so the, really well, there wasn't that many of us in the in 93 to, to battle it. And then they, then they reduced the number of the rounds and, they reduced the prize money. They reduced everything and just to kill it off. And then they changed the rules after 93 anyway, didn't they? Yeah, and they went to front-wheel drive cars. Yeah, right? yeah, two-and-a-half-litre front-wheel drive, I think. But but where I outsmarted a few of them is at the Bathurst round, I had the EBS. This is 92, and I smoked them. I got pole position, lap record, won every race. And at the end of it, a bloke come up to me and said to me, are you interested in bringing that car to New Zealand? So I ended up paid for by uh, the New Zealand, but there was a thing called the Nissan Mobile 500 series. So I up and packed up my truck, my production car. I took a spare engine, spare gearbox, drove the truck onto a boat, the boat left, and went up, I went over and did the Wellington Street Race at, and um, and the Pukekohe, um circuit. And I had <laughs> I asked Mark Larkham to co-drive with me, which he did. So I had Mark Larkham at, at uh, Wellington, and then I had a guy called Glenn Clark, which is the co-driver of Peter McLeod, uh, co-driving me at Pookie because mm. because Larko took off in the middle of the two two rounds to go and buy his Formula Holden in Europe. <laughs> so he left me high and dry. He just took off. <laughs> so you finished fifteenth at um, Pukekohe, and um, it doesn't got a result for the Wellington race. No, the Wellington race we blew the engine. Mm. Well, Larko was in it when it blew, and he should <laughs> have seen the bloody <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but I tell you the, the, the best part about it, and this is on YouTube too, and I've only found that recently. The race started a it was a rolling start because it was a world touring car championship. So they had you had Sierras, BMWs, but you had a couple of the Australian V8s. You had the Brock was in his um, VP, I think, and I think uh, there was Dick Johnson and uh, John Bow in the Shell Falcon and. But they had Longhurst and Pitt. They had a Piro, I think it was. In the, is in that the where Tony um, had that crash and his head almost came no, out? That was that was the year before. Oh, okay. That was the year before. But, but getting back to the start of this Nissan Mobile 500, I'm in a production car. So I'm on treaded treaded tyres. But that production car, I had ABS brakes and I went and bolted four-piston AP calipers onto it, which was the prelude. If you look at it this way, Ford Falcons had a single piston front end. I went and had it modified by Harrop through the good help of a good friend called um, Bond Rollbars, Peter Muir. He helped me um, with the engineering, and Peter sent the front end of my Ford down to Harrop Engineering, and we put this Harrop front end into a production car, and then suddenly we didn't have to have a brake pad change. We didn't have any brake problems, and then we had ABS, and it was wet. The race started in the wet. So you imagine a production car and treaded tyres, I freaking smoked them. If you look at the TV <laughs> coverage, I was running third outright, and um, the late uh, what's the commentator's name? Um, the 
Well, he used to get really excited. What's his name? Daryl Eastlake. Daryl Eastlake. He was so excited, and, he, and and he's yelling at the screen, going, "And we've got this!" Because because the Radishich were in a red Sierra, and they thought it was the Sierra coming third. No, no, it was my production car coming third <laughs> in an outright race. Anyway, another story. The the promoter was shaking his fist, going, "Not the production car! Get back! In. <laughs> You're not right. even in the You're top not meant to be up there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yep, yeah, we jump over. We jump over to. Um, a couple of years later, you found yourself in a Formula Ford. I found that um, in my research quite interesting, being that you, you'd done super speedway, you'd done yep. sports sedans, and then all of a sudden a switch Lucky. to a, an open wheeler. Yeah. Uh, and you, and out, you're not a short bloke either. So I'm not, you know, mate, I, mate, I can proudly say that when I was racing Formula Ford, I weighed 98 kilograms. The car's uh, combined weight was 495. So I had to make sure the car weighed just under 400 kilograms to make sure that I didn't go too far over the... Because I remember Margaret Hardy, who was a lady that used to run the Formula 4 championship, every time we'd come off the track and we'd go to the weigh bridge, she'd look at me and shake her head and say, not you, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit of insult, Margaret. Can't get to come in and weigh me, you know? Can you imagine how many drivers over the years Marg had to insult like that? There's a lot of them that came through. <laughs> and oh, she was great, managing great lady. She did a she great was. job of managing all those. Yeah. And imagine that, because she had to deal with kids. Here I am, 33 years of age. I've already competed and won an Australian title, right? And also trucks. I raced trucks the year before as well. So I was Australian, you know, this light truck champion. And then I thought, I was doing, how would it come about? I worked for Ian Luff. Me and Luffy did the um, Bathurst 12 hour with the same production car, but I put on an LPG. So this was 94. So when it comes to 95, um, I'm doing corporate days with Luffy at Oran Park. And Luffy used to offer two Formula Fords to let people have like drive, you know, like as you know, turn up and you can have a steer. Well, I did a deal with Luffy because I worked for him. I said, Well, I can't afford it, Luffy. How about if I bring my mates and they all pay, I'll get a free run? And anyway, these cars were full on uh, Swift, uh, whatever model they were. And I was like within, you know, a second off the pace around the short circuit on top. I use the south circuit. And at the end of it, I'd won, you know, fastest lap, most consistent, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I'm actually pretty good at this, aren't I? I might, I might have a... And I went straight to the national... I didn't go through club Formula 4. I went straight to the Australian, Australian Championship, you know? Ooh, interesting, was, interesting. Uh, we've had Luffy on the on the podcast and he never mentioned your name once. <laughs> the only name he mentioned was Ian Luff. <laughs> well, i got a good story about Luffy because I keep rubbing into him. During the Bathurst 12-hour, when I was running an LPG... He decided to come into the pits at our pit stop and copy what Larry Perkins used to do. You remember how fast they used to come into the pits? They used to climb the curbs going into the pit lane, see how fast they can come in. Well, he decided he'd be a hero and come in as fast as Larry, but it didn't didn't, didn't happen. He drew it straight into the sand trap and buried the, the production car. And I'm he sitting didn't there. Mention and, hmm? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't mention that either. He didn't mention that either. I know. I keep running in. And I said, and anyway, I'm standing there in my helmet. I'm ready to get in the car. And I'm on the race. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, oh I buried it. Buried it where? Oh, in pit lane. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just touched on, Mel, you briefly touched over you were the light truck champion and there was something before we went on air about a, a situation <laughs> with the truck. 
and it it sounded very entertaining. We didn't get to the end of the story, so let let's get to the end of oh, that okay. story. Well, that that year again, there was an, there was a situation where my sponsor, my one of my panel beta sponsors, was also painting this truck, and the guy that owned it from um, near Norellan in Sydney, he a guy called Paul Hay, he said, well. Why don't you come and drive my truck? Because that year, I, I practically, what I was going to do, the production cars were over. I wasn't going to go front-wheel drive. Um, so I really had a whole year of kind of scratching. So I said, hey, I'll have a drive your truck. So he ended up, we ended up doing the whole Australian title. So we went right around Australia. We did Lakeside. We did Malala. We did Barbagello. You know, obviously Oran Park, where it all started from. But what used to get me is that Rodney Crick, the late Rodney Crick, who also used to work for Luffy, um, he used to get... His Volvo at the end of a race, and he was allowed to do burnouts in his truck. And at the end of the end of the meeting, at the end of the meeting, yeah, yeah, skids. Yep. So I had already won the points for the light, like the Isuzu, the light truck class. And I thought, well, stuff it. If he's allowed to do burnouts, (laughs) I'm allowed to do burnouts. So, so just picture in your mind. I've come over the dog leg. It was a night meeting on a park. There's 40,000 people. It's absolutely packed. And and I see Rodney up on the main straight doing donuts in his Volvo truck. And I'm thinking, ah, look, I can do that. So I've ripped it back a second. You know, mind you, he's his auto, mine's manual. So I've had to sidestep the clutch to get the brake a bit of Wilson. This is at the end of a race. The tyres were still hot, right? So I've sidestepped the clutch, got the thing. And back then, the boost was 70 PSI on the turbo boost. I've looked at the gauge, got a full boost, slides at the clutch, got the thing spinning, and as I've turned onto the main straight, we all know how how steep it is on the left, on it. Yeah. And as the tires hit and and gripped up, they didn't they didn't keep spinning, they gripped <laughs> up, which meant the truck flew off the road, <laughs> off the left, and it, it went for a barrel roll, end for end, you know, windscreen diff, windscreen bang crash, bang crash. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die here. And then, um, and when the officials came over to get me out, they're trying to pull me through the the thing was on its side, so I'm, they're trying to pull me out through the windscreen because the windscreen had gone, and and my guts were stuck in the steering wheel because the roof had come down because the roll cage connected to the chassis, but the chassis connected in the centre of the truck on the you know trucks, and as it bent down, it's tightened me in between the roof and the steering wheel, so I'm kind of jammed between a helmet and the steering wheel. And my whole body's got, I'm thinking, oh, my God. So I had to kind of st- turn the steering wheel and bring myself out of this truck. And then I thought to myself, all right, I know my wife, I'm sorry, at the time my girlfriend Jennifer was be- was with the owner, Paul, up at the control tower. So I've gone behind the truck, out of sight of the control tower. The crowd were there and they were on their feet and then I decided to put my hands up and pretend that I did it deliberately. Like, when, how was that? <laughs> And the crowd went friggin' berserk because they thought it was a stunt. Hey, hey, Taz, guess who got the phone call next morning not to say anything about it? <laughs> please don't, please don't, put that in print, Gaz. Please don't put that in print, Gaz. It didn't go in print either. Uh, I did get called to the stewards, and you know what they said to me? Nothing. <laughs> it was after looked, the race, they just, so they just looked and they just shook their head. They said, "What kind of a fucking idiot can wreck a truck at the end of a race?" Of a race. <laughs> and what did the owner say, mate? To tell you the truth, he took it really well. 
because the following round, the, the next the next event was Barbagello in Western Australia. They managed to put another cabin on it, painted it up, and actually, because you guys can see me yet, I, I want to show you something. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best commentary. He's disappeared over at his trophy cabinet and he's pulling a uh, a photo out from behind some of his favourite trophies here. And there's and, a, uh, quite a few in there. There is a very full trophy cabinet, that's for sure. Yeah, check this out. This is the trophy I've got. <laughs> so what we're looking at is an SBR Isuzu on its roof, painted yellow <laughs> and red. It's a model <laughs> truck painted the same colours, the same number eight than we raced on it, and a name on the windscreen, and that was my trophy. I do like <laughs> the fact that it's Fig Jam 1994 too. Geez, yeah. I'm good, just ask me. <laughs> so you know what it meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for telling us that truck story. Look, we got to we got to move on here. This is sure. some great stories here. You 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 put production cars and Formula Ford and different bits and pieces aside, and obviously the supercar era started, and you were you were in on the the ground level of um, supercar racing, or was as it was known as V eight supercars, five liter touring cars, then V eight supercars, and and you went off and you did some. Um, the Primus 1000 at Bathurst in 97, then the FAI uh, 1000 at Bathurst as well. Um, just tell us about your your move into you know, that upper echelon of Australian touring cars. Well, how that started was um, I went to Western Australia with a Formula Ford the, the previous year and I had a huge crash. Near killed myself. I came onto the main straight and um, I hit the, you know, if you know the uh, the pit entrance at, at Barbagello is a great big tractor tyres. If you remember on TV, so the, well, I hit them sideways because I come over the launched over the curb and I flew in the air. I literally flew into pit lane full bore. And yeah, um, Jeff Embry can tell you about that in his GT Audi. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happened to me. And so, I, so when I got back to Sydney and rebuilt the car, um, I then crashed it again coming over the dogleg at Oran Park on the final round in '95. So the sponsor at the time who'd supported me through the 12-hour, through the through because remember it was Fairfax Community Classifieds, they they said to me, the boss said, Well, you know, I'm trying to help your career here. I'm not trying to help you get killed. And so what what can we get coverage? What where can we get you know motorsport coverage and value for money, blah, blah, blah. I said, Well, the only thing really is now group eight touring cars or that in the prelim to V8 supercar. So when we went and bought what I thought at the time was one of the best privateer cars you could buy, which had finished the year before it finished sixth outright with John Cleland and Tony Scott. And uh, it was built by Pinnacle Motorsport, built by a guy called Mike Freeman in, in Queensland and, and, and run at Bathurst by the late Steve Knott, who was also partners with Harry, Harry Galloway. So we had some really good engineered people on it. So I bought that car and, in, and then lo and behold, if you remember rightly, 1996, the first round of the, Shell Touring Car Championship was actually Bathurst. Remember that? It was a yep. sprint round. Mm. And um, I didn't even get through the first practice and I broke a crankshaft, which meant that I was out for the, the meeting. I didn't have a spare engine. Mm. Um, so then I had to do just selected events in 1996 until the Bathurst. I didn't even do the Sandown 500. I just went did did Bathurst. And I got um, uh, Terry Shield to do the Bathurst 1000 with me. And I only found out recently from from... You know, you know, the Facebook people comment on things and photographs, or whatever. And I had, I had a bloke contact me. He said, um, he said, I was the flaggy at the same point. You know, where Chaz Mostert went up the wall to Bathurst and nearly took out the flag or tipped the flag 
Great point. Yeah. Well, he's telling me that in 1996, Terry got pushed into the wall going, and he was on his last, he was on his in-lap for me to get in for out for my last stint. Because remember back then you did, the, the main drivers did the start, the middle and the end, because you had, you had, because yeah. the, the, the last 30, 32 laps for a stint. And um, and poor old Terry got hunted into the fence and, and wrecked it and, um and then, and then it was good old Mark Larkham suggested take it to the Weatherall Park TAFE College. And I had the TAFE kids repaired the car over Christmas and into the new year as a job, which then saved me from – and actually, I've got, to, I've got to say that Holden did a great job. They supplied the, the rails and the inner guards and the quarter panels and all the, the bonnet and, the, and everything for me. And um, oh, actually, you love this story. When that happened – I was feeling pretty down with myself, and I was actually sleeping in the workshop where where the car was because I, I didn't you know I wasn't at home and my you know I was in the you know I just I was, I was living basically in the workshop and the phone rang the next morning on the Monday after Bathurst and it was Peter Brock rang me up <laughs> and told me don't get too disheartened son you know you're do, you're doing a good job you know, you know right near to the end blah 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 and man I tell you that really chirped up my um to have the, the great man. And, I, you know, it was like I thought it was a prank at the time because when, when he goes, hi, Mal, it's Peter Brock, you go, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I, I um, and that, 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 in, that inspired me to, to then um, to get it all happening. And, and if you remember rightly, another, another thing, I, I, got, I was on the board of the ARDC for, for nearly 10 years and they were thinking of something they could do. So with the, the prelim, preliminary before the Super 2, Super 3, Privateers, the AMS car series was reborn in 97 just for V8s, Ford and Holden, and we put them on a control tyre, which Goodyear got involved. And um, and there was a lot of controversy that year. Remember, remember Tiger and Toker and all the buddy? Remember, remember oh, um, they had to go to New Zealand to get the transponders? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, right, the serious. day before the meeting, I think Brian Gelding went across, flew yeah. over, got the transponders and brought them back because supercars wouldn't let them. Yeah. Uh, or Tiger, Tiger wouldn't let them use. That's right. Yeah, and you had to run a meeting as a high-speed demonstration. The first one. That's right. They even stopped us from running their first round. If you remember rightly, well, it was a high-speed demonstration. Yeah. Although Jeff, actually... Jeff Kendrick actually rolled. Showing off. We all yeah. spinning up the hill and stuck and rolled it over the hill. Yeah. <laughs> when demonstrations oh, well, go no, bad, it's no different. What about what about when Mick Donoghue stuck the bloody car in at the same year? We went to the Bathurst Media Day, and he wrecked his car too, which meant he couldn't do one of the rounds of the Ams car. So it made me. It made the whole like I I raced and won that series, but I, but missing from one of each each round we had. There was. Uh, Alan McCarthy. He was Pitts probably the pace setter, um, wasn't he? McCarthy. He, he had the quickest car. Yeah. Would he? Would you say that? The Falcon. Well, the Falcon. It was an ex Glen Seaton car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The only yeah. thing the difference with McCarthy is he hadn't he hadn't been to the Eastern States, so he didn't know Amaru Park like I did. So I won every race at Amaru Park, and he won at Eastern Creek in the first three. But then I got the last three or whatever yeah. would happen. So I won six in a row. I won all three at Amaru and all three at Eastern Creek in a row. Uh, I think that still holds a record of some sort in Amsco. Yeah, but didn't unfortunately it didn't last long the series. No, just as a, a just shame. as a as a as a thought bubble, Gaz. That 
with Sydney Motorsport Park, is is would would the Amscar series work now? Do you think? Yeah, I, possibly. Yeah. If you or is that, that or is that or well, is that the, the being big taken problem, care of? The big problem now is the cars are worth too much money. If you get older cars, who's yeah. going to race them? That's yeah. a problem they've got with some of the um, with Super Three now, and V8 touring cars. So you're in the same boat basically, aren't you? Yeah. And yeah, then, Mel. Mel, the um, the the list of achievements continues on. You you moved into the Konica V8 um, lights and right. had a couple of um, a couple of years involved in that as well. When I say a couple, four, four, five years mixed up in that as well. Did you think that that level of supercar racing was going to continue on, or was it? Was, did you think it was you got out of it because it was beyond you, or what? What? What sort of no, no, finished no, that no, off? No, no, I, I, the only my only um, problem was I would have wanted a, a later model car. You know, by the time that that all started, it was about two thousand. Mm-hmm. My car was built in nineteen ninety three. Mine was a VP. I think by the time you get to 2000, you were into the VX model, VX going onto VY, onto VZ. Um, oh, yeah, my car was just too old, you know, and um, it was a strut front end where the new ones had a double wishbone. You know, mine didn't even have adjustable watch linkage. It was just, a, it was just you know, I think a panhard rod, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, But it, in its day, I mean, it still did um, I mean, 14s and 15s around Mount Panorama, and there was nothing, you know embarrassing about it no there was no it was certainly wasn't a slouch i i um i guess on my radar i knew that you were racing in that but then you jumped back onto the radar because in 2006 in 2006 you'd have to say things changed you looked beyond our own big brown land and started to see the world sorry 2004 and and that's after yep sorry you got go there you go well well, that, that all came about because in 2002, um, they had the Bathurst 24-hour. You know, Ross Palmer put a lot of effort into running a 24-hour race. And at that stage, I was basically running the Mitsubishi Mirage Series for Australia. I've been running that since 99 when Warren Luff won the first two rounds. And then I think, I can't remember who the winners of each round was, but um, but I I had running these, these Mitsubishi. So in 2002, they rang me up and said, this is this is a quote. They said, "Your Mitsubishi's run on Avgas, which the which the high octane fuel." They said, "But the twenty four hour only runs on pump fuel, which is ninety eight. And they said, "Why don't you do a test and see if your Mitsubishi's will last on the ninety eight fuel?" And so I I got one of my I, I, by this stage I bought a lot of the cars, bought bought them off the competitors because they were all the novelty wore off. So I had these Mirages in my shed. So I took one of them to Oran Park, rang up the boys, said, "Listen." We're doing the destruction test on a Mirage engine. Who's in? All we're doing, we're going to start when the when the when the track opens, and we're going to just drive it flat out <laughs> till four o'clock. I mean, let, I want you on the limiter of every gear change. And that was eight thousand two hundred RPM, and see if we could blow it up. Because I was told by Ross Palmer, if we blew it up, he'd pay for the repairs. He'd pay for a new engine if I blew it up. Anyway, did did ninety eight pump fuel? Everything was spot on. Pulled the engine apart. Was spot on. So then that encouraged us to build some um, cars to do the, the, the 24 hour. And those cars did the whole race, no brake changes on the rear, no tire changes. They, I, I think we're getting two and three quarter hours on fuel before a fuel stop. And we smoked them and like no one gave the Mitsubishi's any credit, but I think if you look at the results, so we're 
eleventh uh, and twelfth outright. I think eleventh and twelfth and eighteenth. I think the three cars. So were then, they the were they the cyborg? Were they the ones yes, that were yeah. designated cyborgs? Yeah, yeah. cyborg. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. yeah, Myvec cyborg, whichever like to call it. Yep. And um, they revved to eight thousand two hundred. They had one hundred and thirty uh, kilowatts of power. Close ratio fire speed, limited slip diff, adjustable rally art shocks. They were like a little weapon. Mm. Um, they, and you had some really handy drivers in them for the. 24 yeah. hours as well. I think one of them from memory went home because his mother passed away and yeah, came back the next, separate. came back to race, yeah. race in the race. And I had no he idea. Nothing, <laughs> yeah. He said there was nothing he could do, so he might as well come back and race. Yeah. Oh, we even had Jack Ellsgood, remember the football player? Yeah. He, he was in with, because he, he, he did he, V8 Utes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We had, um, we had Gary Young and um, I had um, Anthony Robson in with me and there was, Peter Lemus from Canberra, who's ended up being my co-driver through all of the overseas events for the next decade. Um, oh, no, we, we just had a ball, and and that and that crew, that that group of guys that came for that twenty-four hour race at Bathurst, all when I rang them all up and said, "Listen, I have got an idea. How about if I pay your airfares, I'll feed you, I'll accommodate you, but you've got to give me a guarantee of about a week of your time." And it's in June, May or June, and we're going to go to the Nürburgring in Germany. And they went, where's that? I said, no, well, we'll find it. Someone tells me you get off the buddy plane at Frankfurt and you drive that way and you head towards Cologne and you'll see the sign. So I, I ended up getting a shipping container. I took all the parts I had, the tools I had, put it all inside a shipping container, and set it off three months before the race. And suddenly we're in Europe racing against all these other makes and models. And these races, they started 220 cars in a race. And here I am in Australia. I've raced in, in events where there's, you know, 10, like in the Amps car, I got down to there's only 10 cars in the grid. You know, um, production cars, it probably might have been 20. Um, but then you get to, to Nürburgring and there's 220. And you're sharing a pit garage with six teams. So you had to, you couldn't even open your doors up when you want to work on the car. You had to ask someone, "Oh, can you back up a little bit? I need to open my door up." <laughs> uh, yeah, so that so that all started from the bath. So all Bathurst twenty four hours was the reason that all happened. And you actually won the A one class at yep. in two thousand and seven over there yep. with one of your cars. Did you take? Did you race three of them or just the one? We, the first first year in two thousand and four, I took three. And one of the drivers didn't show up, so he couldn't run the third car. He said he was going to the airport, but he didn't freaking show up. Um, anyway. We got, probably took your directions in getting there. Oh, I got both. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we had one car as a spare. And the second the second year in 05, I took three Mirage. We ran three cars, and they went great guns. Then, then one of the drivers was a good mate of mine, Adam Wallace from South Australia. And he drove with us in 05. And on the plane trip home, he goes, Holy shit, that was good fun. He says, What do you reckon a V8 would go like around here? And I went, and he at the stage he'd bought the ex um Paul Dumbrell, Larry Perkins built Conica series, the winning car from I think it was I think a one in 04 or something, was it three, four or something? Paul Dumbrell run it. One the he it sounds about right. Few. It sounds about right. <laughs> he, won yeah, a, he, has he won a few, few uh development series anyway, well, well, Adam yeah. with, with independent stuff. cars, yeah. It was right, exactly. It was independent, it was looked after by Marty Frank yep. in South Australia. Yep. So, so the deal was done where Adam said, Well, 
let's take my car. So the problem we had was I wanted to build an engine that would last the distance. I didn't want, because V8s had a bit particular problem where the rockers would break or the, you know, they'd have, they'd have valve train issues, right? So I decided to go to Gary Rogers and said, can you build me a, a, a shed engine that will last the distance? Because we're going to do 24 hours, not just, you know, you know one, you know, six-hour race like Bathurst. And um, so then I thought, and I thought, how are we going to stop the drivers from missing gears? So I decided to buy the sequential Hollinger that went in the Bathurst. Remember Gary won the 24-hour in the Monaros with the, with the sequential? Yep. Well, I bought the sequential out of one of the Monaros and bowled right in, into, into the Perkins um, shell. So it was my engine, but Adam's car. And um, we had to make up a wiring harness because it was bloody the wiring harness of Gary Gary Rogers made is different to a bloody um, Perkins right. car. So, so there's all these bloody technical dramas. And then and then we did things like what Mark Larkham did in his car. We put the alternator on the tail shaft so that so that we could um, keep the battery. And we ended up putting an extra battery in because we we're running in the dark, so we had spotlights in the front and. And and obviously lights in the inside of the car so we could see the gauges and, and the dash had to do a backlit dash because in those days, in the early days, your Motec dash wasn't backlit. You didn't need to see it because who raced a V8 in the dark? <laughs> so suddenly we had to think about all these, you know, gauges, switches. You remember Larry had the, the big um the post, yeah, all the switches. So we had to have a we had to have a light. On the switches and with the switch, so we can switch it on to see whether we turn the diff pump on or the in the dark. And uh, oh yeah, we, we learn, a lot, learn a lot about doing endurance races here. Even taking our own gas bottles because we had no idea how we were going to lift the car in the air or literally take the wheels off. Because I don't know what type of bottles you get in Germany, and we had to change and the and the you couldn't plug your power points in for your compressor or your. So to take all these adapters and oh, it was a it was a nightmare, but it was so enjoyable. So certainly, the recognition locally in Australia, there was you know some media outlets that followed a lot of what you did there, but the the recognition of what you guys achieved with those cars in those events for numerous years was was I guess like a lot of things in Australian motorsport media overseas is not just not not covered. Um, one of the really interesting things came along where you started to drive for Aston Martin in yep. in some of those events. So you'd obviously pricked up people's attention while you're overseas and your the way you'd gone about your racing, your ability to you know dance on the pedals and use your hands and feet in unison sort of thing. Yep. How did the whole thing come up with the with the Aston Martin show? Well, that Aston Martin started their endurance in 2006, the same year as we come over with the Commodore. And the Commodore the first year, it was all big and new. Because imagine bringing an Australian V8 to the to Nürburgring. So there was a heap. We got so much press and they wanted to put cameras in our cars and all kinds of things. So, so we were kind of the flavour of the month in 2006. Now, we didn't achieve, we didn't go out and beat anybody. We didn't go beat the factory buddy Audis and factory Porsches and the factory, right? But, but Aston Martin had started in their endurance campaign in 06, using their either their V8 or V12 production road cars, but modified, because under the rules, you're allowed to have you know, a better aero package and big wheels and blah, blah, blah. So we're actually in the same class as Aston Martin every year. So from 06, 07, 
eight, nine, <laughs> they were our competition, right? So they were always always thinking and they look at us and and talking and and they had a couple of you know Aussie actually they always had uh, journos driving in a lot of cases. So those journos would always come down and, and talk to all our boys and see how we're going. And and over the years, because it, because it was my team, um, you know, I kind of they they it was it was really interesting because I had the the team manager ring me up from Germany, and um and when she rang, there was a lady a lady manager, and she said, oh, uh, our boss Wolfgang wants to talk to you and ask would you consider coming over and racing with us in, I think it was 2012 was our first time, and I, man, you can imagine that that phone call going, wow, this is. <laughs> And I'm, I'm in, out in my shed working in the dark at the night because I used to run my hot lap cars at Oran Park and, and I was out in the back in the shed and I had a, 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 a heater, like a, one of those gas heaters out, out the back to keep me warm. And she's on the phone and, and I'm going, oh, wow, this would be tops, wouldn't it? And I, and I didn't realise that it's actually factory backed. So when I went over, we were in five-star accommodation. We had corporate suites. I got a brand-new racing suit. You know, I had I had I had all the ducks and whistles. I I felt like, you know, anyway, felt like a king. Well deserved, Mel. Well deserved, Mel. You you put everything on the line for previous years, and recognition comes comes. You could have taken your own media for it. You could have taken your own media contingent. Well, I do remember. I took I took over Stewie Stewie Breeze, and he videoed. And we did some docos. So if you go on YouTube and you want to see our our Nurburgring races, it, there is actually there is he had in car cameras. He followed us around the pits. I think one's called Mal's Green Hell. One's called Pass. Uh, one's called um, the Lure of the Ring. And he also followed me to the Dubai twenty four hour. And, and one's called Passport the Dubai. So it's all on YouTube. So hmm. plenty of footage. Mel, so we haven't seen you racing in Australia. I guess to to round things out here, we haven't seen you racing in Australia in any high profile um, anything for quite some time. Is there any plans? Is there any ideas that you look over the fence in a particular category and say, so "Wouldn't mind having a crack and yeah. and getting the license uh, up and dust, dusted off again"? Well, I did the twelve hour in two thousand thirteen in the same V eight um, in with all the GT cards in two thousand thirteen. If you remember rightly, yep. yep. And I had an absolute ball because I said to the organiser, who, 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 I would always wanted to run the 12 hour, and I kept ringing up and say, Well, why can't I run my Commodore? And they said, Well, it's not a GT car, it's got four doors. And I said, Well, big deal. You know, like I can race it in Germany, or I can race it in Dubai, I can race it in Spa, I can race it in Malat. Why can't I race it here? And uh, anyway, when they started dropping numbers in 2010 and 11, remember they combined production cars, then a little bit of GT cars, and now it's all GT cars, you know? Yep. Um, he started a class, and he called it Invitational. And and that year, I think it was only three of us in the class. I think it was a, a, a Dodge. Or was it a um, bloke from Melbourne? That, was, was, it it the, Viper? was it the Daytona? The Daytona. Daytona. So yeah, the Daytona. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think, and I think it was a BMW. And then, and then the following year, Ryan McLeod's turned up in those Mark cars yeah. and smoked yeah, yeah. them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, which so so yeah, it was Richard saying, Richard Bendel in the Daytona that brought that's right. his team up yeah. from Motec, yeah. But in answer to your question, the only cars I actually do like is those Mark cars. They are fantastic. The mm -hmm. way that Ryan and and his team put a car together that you could swap the left front complete suspension hub to a left rear and vice versa, 
you know, you'd have Made sense. It was it was exactly mm. what an endurance car was probably make, make it tough, but make everything interchangeable so you didn't have to carry bits and pieces. Yeah, we we seen at uh, Phillip Island. Does you remember this? And Jake Camilleri had that incident out of turn two. Went into the tire wall. Took a while to fix it. They actually fixed, put a new front end on that car in the time that they fixed the wall. <laughs> yes, <laughs> had it out and running again. Yeah. Next race. Well, there's only a couple of weeks ago with the with the inception of the Mark cars, they're running their own category as part of the Motorsport Australia Shannon's Trophy Series. Yep. They had all those bits and pieces on display at the back of the paddock, and it, it just it just makes sense that, that those mm. things are going. I don't know. I guess the latest iteration is a different thought pattern on those sort of cars, but certainly the Mark 1s and Mark 2s were very, very clever um, mm. cars. Is that something, Mel, you're looking serious at, or is it just something oh, that grabs your eye? I, I, I don't think so. It, like... I've sold up all of my race cars. Now, I had six supercars. I've got rid of all of them now. I've sold them off to collectors to restore them. I've sold my truck, the trailers. I'm even doing, you know, marketplace sales of all my spare parts. You know, I don't have any, you know, I, I couldn't run a car anymore. I don't own, I don't own any. I have sold everything from a torque wrench to the, to the, 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 the lines and the fittings and the, and the regulators. I've, I've sold everything. You know, I'm, I'm in that life where I'm kind of semi-retired. I've 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 had I had ten years of doing hot laps at Oran Park, and and I and I had I've had so many people have come up to me and they said, "Oh, well, you were the bloke that took me around Oran Park in a you know in a real supercar, not the road car shit boxes that are out there." And um, they still remember it because the way I used to leave pit lane Oran Park, I'd be plucking third gear before I let before I exited pit lane. Now you know this. Well, it's supposed to be forty k's, right? But I had it privately hired. I could do what I pleased. <laughs> I used to just smoke it from when I took off and um, and off I'd go. Yeah, for those that probably don't know, that you actually used to simulate races with passengers. Is that correct? exactly what I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. I had four cars. I had four cars and I had three of my good mates. I had Adam Wallace used to fly out from South Australia. I had Anthony Robson. I had either – there was a the number of guys that, that helped me. There was There was Kevin Burton. And there was Leighton Cranbrook, there's even Rick, Rick Shaw. Um, Grant, Grant um, Johnson came over from South, from Western Australia to help me. There was, I had a ton of guys that helped me to put a show on because my business was about entertaining the public that were that love supercars. And to, for the, put them in a car and then we all lined up and left pit lane at the same time. And then well, we like, you know, when you'd overtake on the dog leg at our park, that's not realistic. But at the speed we did it, it was safe enough that we didn't hit each other. But imagine what it must have been like to the panel. It's like it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's seriously like it. We were we we had a ball, and and if you if you go back and you think how did he run this business because the tires would be so expensive. Well, I bought all the leftover Goodyear tires from the ARDC because the series only lasted one year in 1997. They had a container at Eastern Creek full of brand new Goodyear. You know, race tires that fitted seven and inch rims. I bought the lot, got a got a bargain. I said the deal is you got to give me the forty foot container as well because I've got to have somewhere to store them. And I still, <laughs> I still got the forty foot container in my backyard. I'm telling you, Mel. At this stage of our uh, Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing podcast, I like to pose a a couple of quick questions to you. First of all, your favorite your greatest moment at a racetrack that that just fills your heart with joy whenever you think of it 
And it's a two-part question. Yep. Your greatest nemesis, who was the person you went, you got to the pits and you looked over and you went, there is the yep. biggest numbnuts well, I've no, ever no, known. Well, well, I don't want to say nemesis. There's, there's two parts. You've got your on-track enemy, right? Yep. Yeah. I've actually become pretty good mates with, with one of my the way enemy, and that's called Terry Bossenjack. Like Terry and I live close to each other here in South in um, South Sydney, Southwest Sydney, and we're actually good mates, and we laugh about it now. And we used to knock each other's mirrors off and spin each other like it was full on. So I would say that that's probably my nemesis. But if you say what what you reckon is my greatest achievement, well, that was winning the Privateer Cup at Bathurst in 1998 and being in the top ten and standing on the podium with all those people down below. Because when Privateers were recognised in the in the great race, I mean. It couldn't get. I didn't spray champagne. They kind of the privateers got ushered off the the stage. That year. <laughs> um, yeah, that's because the press conference was starting for the main game guys by right. that stage. That's right. And um, but but Mark Osler managed to give us a bit of airtime, and I had Alan McCarthy who helped me share the the, the the win. I won thirty grand in prize money again. The phone rang Monday morning. Hey Mel, you know that engine. <laughs> <laughs> So that 30 grand got torn up real quick. And, uh, <laughs> One last question from me. Mm-hmm. Do you still have an interest in the sport? Do you follow it still? Well, on the weekend, what was I going to follow? I was watching <laughs> the Gates nonstop on KO, right? Then you got the, the other series going on at um, Morgan Park. Park. Yeah. And then yeah. you had, and then Adam Wallace's son is running in a state meeting at South Australia. His son, um, Jack Wallace was running in a Hyundai Excel at 14 years of age. So mm-hmm. I'm on the so I'm on the internet watching lap times of Jack, watching who's finishing on the different categories in the in Rick's RX7, RX8 Cup up and things, and then watching and there was like 10 hours on KO. So yes, I still have an interest. I I I'm not um I haven't kicked it yet. Hey Gaz, I can see in the in the not too distant future. Uh, a lot of these names that Mel has mentioned with Luffy and Rick Shaw and uh, numerous other guests that, that that we've had on here, you know, presidents of the ARDC, committee members of the ARDC. I reckon we might be able to throw together a grassroots racing podcast dinner and there's got to be some Absolutely. sort of tax break on that, isn't right. there? <laughs> I don't know. We have to speak to whoever the boss is these days. Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> we'll have to we have to get onto that. Uh, Mel, um, so many brilliant stories and and I, I'm glad we got to that one with the truck because um that had you guys in stitches before we'd even hit record on this. So <laughs> I'm glad we I'm glad we got to that that stage. Um we've rapidly just run out of time here and oh. um Gaz and I often say we could do a two or three parter, but uh been so cool to have you on board. As I said, I was a fan of the the VK Carburetor Service car. Um it was right when I'd started my apprenticeship and 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 you were you were always amongst the the front runners with you know at the Thunderdome. So for me, it's been just awesome to have you on on our podcast. And I, I think it's great that you know we're able to get part of your story down where there's going to be people like me that that have picked one of your cars out through your career and yeah. they'll see it and go, let's go and have a listen to Mel's story. Well I must admit after seeing um Kent Yulden pass with um dementia recently, I start I start to think I should be putting some notes down of all the different adventures I've had in the last 34 consecutive years of racing because mm. we've had some great time and, I'm, and I've met some great people, that's some great supporters, great sponsors and and before it all gets forgotten because that's I think that's one of these things as you get a bit older, um, things start to happen and, and, I'm, and I'm 
I'm not I'm not young anymore. I mean, I you talk about Aston Martin. I mean, I was I was the youngest driver in the team, but I was fifty. <laughs> well, that's, I can, that's life, though, yeah. isn't it? You get a supercar when you retire. Yeah, <laughs> right. I can say, Mal, that uh, going from uh, building carburetors in your bathtub and kitchen sink, you've certainly come a long way. <laughs> you, you saw that thing on Channel Ten as well. It was, when, um, no, I was there. I've been to your house when you. It was what <laughs> West Ride, I think you were. At no, it was um, it was Auburn, the back of Auburn. No, no, the one I time I went there it was West Ride. Oh, yeah, just yeah, off yeah. Kissing Point Road somewhere. Yeah, oh, that was my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was it. That was your bedroom, your bathroom. There was yeah. engine bits everywhere. I know. I know. <laughs> and he still anyway, managed to get a wife, Gaz. Yeah. Well, well, it's it, it's all different because that that's how we all did it in that era. Where today, if you look at just what's happened on the weekend, you look at Piastri. If you're not a twenty year old in Formula One, you haven't made it. Yeah. Most of us was in our. Um, I, I wasn't. Bathurst till I was in my early 20s, but man, guys are Formula One in early 20s, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Mel, thank you so much for joining Gary and I. It's been uh, been brilliant, uh, brilliant tales, and, and I knew it was going to be like that. So, uh, and if we ever do see you at the racetrack or at the pits, oh, no. I just, I'm just a bad spectator. I, I get frustrated. <laughs> I, I sit up. And, and and the reason, no, serious, this is another reason. You, you you didn't ask the reason why I started Hot Lab Business, did you? And I was at Bathurst in 1999, the year after I'd won the privateers. And I couldn't get any sponsorship money. So I set 99 out. I, other than I did, sorry, I did do the Queensland 500 with Chris Smurden and ended up buying the car off him, if you remember right. And that became one of my Hot Lab cars. But I'm sitting there at the, at a, in a Castrol marquee on Hell Corner at Bathurst, turn one, up in the top in a, in a marquee. And I was so frustrated watching other privateers missing the apex by a mile, have no idea to change gears, and I'm looking at it going, you're freaking kidding me? <laughs> so I literally drove home. I, I left the track at about, I think back in those days, the race started at 10 a.m. Yeah, 10, yeah. I was in my car heading home. And I'm in the I'm in traffic driving home, and there was a there was a prank at Lithgow. So I'm sitting there, I couldn't move, and the brain's ticking over. How can I make some money? How can I make some money? And I thought, why don't I do a corporate day at Oran Park, get all the sponsors together, but instead of doing it for free, I'll charge them. I'll say, well, this is the this is the price, you know, and I'll, and I'll give you two rides in the car and lunch, and I had and I and I, and I made some embroidered hats. And it, and it turned out to be really good. And then I thought, I can make a business out of this. And because I had Fairfax newspapers as a sponsor, they gave me free advertising. So I got the local papers, had all these ads, and then next minute I'm running a hot lap. Who would have thought I could keep that going for 10 years? Mm. You know, every month have four supercars blasting around Oran Park and sometimes Easter Creek. So, you know, and those cars now, those cars were... Were, so I had two ex Larry Perkins cars, the Pinnacle car. I had a Longhurst Falcon. Then I had two Gary Rogers um, Valvoline cars. They're now collectors' items, and they're <laughs> and they're worth a lot of money. You know. So, uh, Mel, on that note, thank you very much for your time. It's been awesome, uh, awesome chat. Right, thanks, guys. And I, and I really think your your grassroots thing is great, great idea. You know, because it talks to blokes like me that started at grassroots. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very well much. Well done, Mal. Well done. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
Wow, fantastic uh, to have Mel Rose on. A guy, I guess, really stands up in the uh, the grassroots racing podcast um, lineup, I guess, if you say, albeit on an international platform there, Gaz. He's certainly done just about everything, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. It's a career that you look back and say, wow, you know, did I really do all that stuff? You know, probably remember a lot of it until you get to talk about it, do you? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I, I guess the reward for his level of commitment to going racing is getting that, that uh, ultimately that factory drive with Aston Martin, you know, one of the bigger sports car brands in the world. And, you know, hanging your, hang your helmet up, one of your, you know, one of your later drives in your, in your life is, is with, uh, with one of those big international OEMs. So terrific to have had, uh, had Mel on. The world of motorsport continues to rotate, Gaz, and you have got plenty of news that's been going on over the last week or so. Well, the weekend before last, we had the Sydney 300. Now, you talk about grassroots uh, racing. This is certainly it. This is the grassroots of grassroots. 300 kilometres all at night time out of Sydney Motorsport Park on uh, Saturday, July 15. And the race was won by Benny Tran, who drove the event on his own in his supercharged Honda Integra. Had a drama early and needed to pit to uh, replace a delaminated tyre. He was in the A-class, which... The classes actually, or divisions, are worked out on uh, lap speed. So if you broke out of your, your times, you would relegate it or, or you got a penalty and you got three strikes and you're out. Uh, so you nominated what class you were going to go into and um, tried to stick with it. So <clears throat> Benny uh, did the deed. He uh, took the, took out the event. Then he had a couple of safety cars, which was uh, pretty good. Uh, Jim Usul and Ian Saltieri in their production Volkswagen Golf finished second. And they were in Class B, which are the slightly slower cars. They had two stops like the A class, A division. Uh, the A division had two five-minute stops. Good and... to see that team get a result like that, Gaz. They've been oh, running around production cars for a long time. An older car, and you know, only recently in the last year or so, they've upgraded to that VW, and uh, good to see. Yeah, well, they were in front for a while as well. They had uh, two stops, as I said. One was five minutes, one two and a half. All the other divisions had one five-minute stop. So um, um, Anthony Sewell and Adam Burgess were third in their production car as well, their BMW M4. Then we had Drew Hall and Michael McClellan in the second of the BYC Racing Hondas. It was in fourth spot. And... Brad and Will Harris, the twin brothers in the Ambassador RX-8 that runs in uh, um, RX-8 Cup format normally, starting Class B uh, in Class C, and won that ahead of Charlie Viola, who is Honda Integra was also in Class C. Believe it or not, Charlie had that wrapped up with just minutes ago, and they had a suspension collapse on the car, but he managed to get it to the, the to the checkered flag and finished in sixth position ahead of. And Chris of course, Sutton. the the naming rights sponsor Charlie too. Well, indeed, pitch partners were sponsoring the event, and that is Charlie's company. Chris Sutton was next out of, in position seven in his Mitsubishi Evo ten. They had a turbo blow up the weekend before at a at a state championship meeting, so they did well to turn that car around and got to the line ahead of. Uh, uh, Greg and Lee Burgess in their Evo 9. And we had Harrison Cooper and Wayne Cooper in ninth. And uh, the, the Jutinis uh, were in 10th in their Honda Civic. So uh, it was a pretty good race, as I said, just a couple of safety cars. And uh, also had good uh, supports from a uh, big field of uh, Excels. Pulses were fairly strong as well. 
they combined the MX-5s and Clubmans, and believe it or not, they were on about the same pace, so they put on some pretty good racing, and the Alphas and the E36 BMWs were racing together, and um, David Camparo won all their races, and the BMWs were probably just a little bit outclassed by the Alphas. Yeah, well, the Veloce racing guys are uh, got some pretty good bits of kit in there, and of course the E30s are very much a, a spec racing class, so we could see they all uh, mixed in well together. The ARC, of course, visited Queensland on the weekend. Good return to form for Harry Bates. Yeah, Harry Bates and uh, Coral Taylor won both heats. That's uh, they score. They it's like two separate events, but then they do count towards the round. So they won Saturday and Sunday. And uh, also won the power stage on Sunday afternoon uh, quite uh, easily, as it turned out. And uh, they won the event ahead of Eddie McIntyre and Zach Barclay in their Evo. Um, uh, sorry, in their Subaru, I think. Well, well one or the other. <laughs> it was a great field, actually. Good to see the ARC starting to return to some really strong numbers uh, at these events. Really worth worthwhile getting yourself out in the bush and um, setting up a barbecue and a a couple of frothies and watching the uh, the rally car, rally cars come through, I reckon. Well, uh, it was all held in uh, the Gympie area of Queensland, and uh, they certainly put on a um, uh, a good show as well because they were um, they were right into it from the word go. Uh, the the crowd loves it. Um, they uh, get fully behind it. Uh, they have a big street party on the Friday night. Where everyone there is involved, and uh, like a, a town of that size, it has a, a fairly good uh, front uh, main street where they can get everyone in there and have a have a bit of a party, I guess, in in lieu of um, getting them ready for the race on or for the two days of action. Nathan Quinn unfortunately had dramas on both days. He was running second in the championship. I think now he slips to third. Uh, they just didn't have a good run at all. Um, there was a couple others that had uh, dramas. There was a um, uh, new Mitsubishi Mirage for Troy Dow. Unfortunately, they had some mechanical issues along the way, as well as um, met with some of the, uh, the bush around Queensland. Area. Yeah, that's a real shame. There was a lot of anticipation around that car, and particularly there's a lot of anticipation around Troy reaching the the top level of rallying again as well. It's uh, it's it's really it's a good good story and good that he's back. Got some good equipment, albeit now that they've got a bit of work to get it uh, get it back up and running again. I guess you well, were talking about Superbikes as well. Uh, yeah, well, Morgan Park, the same weekend as the Sydney 300, but over at Morgan Park in Queensland, they had the uh, next round of the Australian Superbike Championship and Troy Herfoss and Mike Jones put on some exceptionally good racing over both races. They swapped the lead on numerous occasions. Herfoss ended up winning both races and has now taken the points lead in the championship with two rounds left to go. Certainly uh, hotting up on the two wheels around the country, that is for sure. Um, Gaz, up-and-coming events that you're going to be heading to, or you're, you're certainly uh, got your finger on the pulse around those with uh, with Speed Cafe. Of course, here in Victoria, we've got the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships 11th, 12th and 13th of August um everyone's pretty much having a a quiet old time and thank goodness because it's been freezing in the southern states over the last couple well, you of live years. in melbourne that's what happens when you live yeah. down there yeah um yeah this weekend of course we've got uh the sydney uh motorsport park supercars there's five categories on the support uh, program for that it includes the toyota 86s 
the GTs, the Porsche Sprint Challenge, um, the V8 Super Utes, 21 of them out for this meeting. So that category is certainly grown and S5000 there as well. And uh, a couple of new names getting there. Cody Garland coming over from TCR is going to run in one car. And um, Aaron Love from uh, Super 2 will be running in the Joey Mawson car who with Joey, unfortunately, on... Um, suspension at the moment due to um uh some something that he's taken that has to be checked out yeah i did did read that that's um that's a shame i'm pretty sure he'll be across it and it'll be there'll be an anomaly as there often is with these things along yeah. well, i did mean also meant mean to mention of course the shannon's trophy series queensland raceway uh 4th 5th and 6th of august live streamed on the on the sunday so Looking forward to that. I have noticed uh, a fairly big build-up around sports sedans again, Gaz. Looks like they're going to have a, a ripping field at uh, the second round of sports sedans at Queensland Raceway. Well, unfortunately, you missed the first round, but I happily so. I could say I was there and soaked it up like anything. I think they were the, the stars of Winton, personally. Uh, they put on such a good effort and uh, they everyone stood up and watched when sports sedans were out there. It's like, uh, it's like the way it should be, really, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. Gaz, with uh, with that done, we have uh, managed to uh, get ourselves a new uh, naming rights sponsor in Race Fuels. So we thank them for jumping on board and being the, the naming rights sponsor for the uh, Grassroots Racing Podcast, or as it is now known, the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast. And have you got around... your shirt yet? <laughs> I'm still wearing the old one. I should do like a like a race driver would just put a bit of electrical tape over the old sponsor, <laughs> but they served us well. They did a, a tremendous job, and we really thank them for uh, for their time in the first twenty nine of the Grassroots Racing Podcast. But uh, we move onwards and upwards, and of course on a new platform as well. So plenty to celebrate for the both of us. Yeah, indeed, and we're looking forward to. Uh, well, we had Mark on just a couple of weeks ago, so we did. We did. I wonder if there was to... something bubbling away in the background there that you and I weren't made aware of. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who we, knows? We looked after him, though. Well, I look forward to uh, episode number thirty-one, and I can tell you we've got a, a ripping bloke lined up for that one. That's, uh, I guess we uh, we're pushing the limits on grassroots racing, but he had to start somewhere, and he certainly did have a grassroots racing. So we've got a, a good heads up on uh, on our. Oh, he jumped back into 31. it a couple of times. He has, he has too. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Gaz, episode thirty in the bag. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on episode 30. It's uh, a good day from Darren. And it's a good day from me. Well, that's Daz and Gaz. Out. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. Elf Race 102 is now available from Bowser's at Queensland Raceway, The Bend, Malala and Sydney Motorsport Park. Race Fuels is the official supplier for all events at Mount Panorama and don't forget Sandown and Phillip Island. Race Fuels dedicated Elf Race 102 Bowser is just down the road. Race Fuels E85 is the race's choice for consistency in motorsport. Race Fuels E85 is available in drums around Australia and via Bowser's at Queensland Raceway. 
Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier, and with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside.